The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here's your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. So happy to have you with us. After our break today, we're going to be doing our seasonal sanctuary stroll. So for spring 2017, we're going to be going on a virtual visit to Maple Farm Sanctuary and speaking with the director there, uh, Sherry Vandersloos. You probably saw her in Peaceable Kingdom, The Journey Home. She was once upon a time a dairy goat farmer and she is now a savior of goats and other animals and we'll hear her story in a little while but now we're going to have a real foodie treat a healthy foodie treat for all of us and that is with my lovely first guest tim marie hagenberger and happy birthday Tim Marie, Thank very you. special <laughs> that you're doing this show on your birthday. So for people who don't let yet know you and your wonderful work with the favorite tagline I think I have seen in a long time, you are the nutrition professor and then your lovely trademark tagline is love the food that loves you back. That makes yeah. so much sense. Tim Marie Hagenberger is a registered dietitian, a certified exercised physiologist with a master's degree in public health, and she is a full-time nutrition professor at Cosumnes River College in Sacramento, California. And her fabulous, gorgeous book that I am holding in my hand is The Foodie Bar Way, One Meal, Lots of Options, Everyone's Happy. And I'm so happy to have you on the program today. Welcome, Tim Marie. Thank you. Well, it is wonderful to have you. I know it's been a while that we've been trying to put this together, and I find it just mystically magnificent that it happens to be that we managed to get this done on your birthday. So I want to talk a little bit first about this foodie bar concept, because I think it's brilliant. So for anybody who's unfamiliar, what's a foodie bar and why do we need one? Okay, so I not only am a full-time nutrition professor, but I'm a mom. So I have a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old, and I know all about making multiple meals. And 
I really, it just seems like nowadays people are so divided over what to eat, whether they're avoiding gluten or whether they're avoiding dairy or all animal products. And it really is becoming something that people are divided over. But the foodie bar way concept is about bringing everyone together, family and friends around the table to enjoy one meal, like you said, with lots of options so that everyone's happy. So all of the meals are set up like taco bars. So this is not like a granola bar. This is having (laughs) options set out. And a good easy example would be the salsa bar. So you chop up all the different ingredients for salsa, but instead of mixing it together, you have everybody make their own. Because I know that if I make it with everything in it, my daughter's not going to want it because it has the jalapenos, and my son's not going to want it because it has cilantro. But when everybody makes their own, then they get it exactly personalized. So that's kind of the idea. So I took that concept and I applied it to breakfast, lunch, snacks, dinner type meals, and even dessert so that everybody has different options. So it's it's a wonderful idea and a beautiful, beautiful cookbook. It reminds me a little bit of work that I read about many years ago that if a tiny little child, if a toddler is given an array of healthy food, they are going to pick a balanced diet for themselves unless they've already gotten addicted to sugar and french fries. So it seems that if we're giving people a foodie bar and everything on there is something that we approve of, it's kind of a win-win in the mom department. Oh, absolutely. And it gives the autonomy, you know, with the children. And this works really well, too, not only for our own kids, but grandkids. When, you know, a lot of families feel like, oh, my gosh, you know, when the grandkids come over, then we kind of cheat, you know, and we eat this or that because we want them to be happy. But getting the kids involved and having everybody even assigned to a different item in the foodie bar, that way they can either, if they're really little, they can work together, you know, with a a parent or an older sibling, or they can be responsible. You're on the carrots and, you know, you're going to do the mushrooms or what have you, and then we bring it all together and set up the whole foodie bar, and then people decide, you know, what they want to eat. And I have my students, my college students, they're very disconnected when they come to my classes with this idea of food. I mean, they just, they look at food, they don't even think about where it's from. They just think, I'm hungry, I'm going to eat something. And so they say, I don't have time, I don't have any money, and I don't know how to cook. And so I say this is perfect because every little foodie bar has a basic bar. And so that's when our time is very short. And like my baked potato bar, you bake a potato. And I have in parentheses, eat the skin. You know, of course, the nutrition, you know, is packed in there. And then top it with a can of beans. And I tell you, you know, what what to look for on the beans. And if you have some fresh greens or frozen greens and maybe some salsa, something very basic. And so I have a list of of basic things. And then as I'm running down the street thinking about all this, because this is a total homegrown, all the pictures were actually taken by my husband and a friend of mine, um, I'm thinking, raising the bar, that's it. So there's a raising the bar section, and that is when you want to get more adventurous. So instead of a baked potato, maybe you do a baked sweet potato. Or at our farmer's markets, we have purple sweet potatoes that are just amazing. So maybe you try a purple sweet potato. And instead of a can of beans, you make my seasoned black beans or my cheesy sauce or my garlic mushrooms. And all of those are recipes that are in the book as well as um, other ideas like chopped purple cabbage. People may think purple cabbage on a loaded potato Oh, it's fabulous. So I do kind of the heavy lifting and put all the ideas together. And then you can play around with what you have and what sounds good to you and kind of keep track. I have a little space in there for people to write since I'm a teacher, you know, keep notes. And then I have examples of what we do with our loaded potato or what we do with our pasta. And so it goes through like 32 different bars and then all the recipes that support that. But it really meets you where you are. If you're a, you know, it does. One of the chef. things that one of the things I love about it is it really lets you work with what you've got. I, I think people develop a kind of cookbook malaise when they think, "Oh my gosh, I have to go to the store and get the two things I don't have." 
But in the foodie bar concept, that's fine. It's all good what you've got. You just work with that. And I love the smoothie bar. I have done that when people have come over for brunch, and it goes over beautifully. So so thank you for that. And for people who are interested, go to Tim Marie's website, uh, or one of them, www.foodiebars.com, and that's foodie, F-O-O-D-I-E, and bars, plural, uh, .com. You can find out more about the book. You can order the book. Um, but let's move a bit for the moment, Tim Marie, from Foodie Bars, delicious as they are, to you as a registered dietitian and a nutrition professor. Now, I know that your nutrition classes are not kind of the same old, same old college nutrition class. What makes them different? Yes. So they, my classes, I teach the standard nutrition 300 class, and students expect they're going to learn drink water and don't eat, you know, hot Cheetos, but it's, really interesting because not only do I present the information in the book, which, um, you know, it has its issues, but then I present all of this other research. And so I use a lot of nutritionfacts.org, a lot of Dr. Greger's work. And so I put these questions in their heads and say, now, now let's look at this. Does it even make sense? Does it make sense that we're consuming another species milk? Does that even make sense? And so I really question the, and I let the students develop their critical thinking to decide whether this even makes, you know, sense for their own bodies. And I bring in wellness in all different capacities. Every day we start out with a WWW. So I actually, before that, I have them write their name with their opposite hand twice, full name. And that's, Jean-Pierre did wonderful (laughs) work around that. And so we talk about that's important for brain. And then writing a WWW. So research, um, Martin Seligman with research, the happiness, the psychology of happiness, talked about asking for a what went well from the day before. What went well and why? And so my students start with that. It has nothing to do with nutrition. Sometimes it's a nutrition thing, but often it's just, you know, what went well yesterday. And we know that a month later, research shows that they're happier. So I am so committed. I tell them the very first day, I want your life to be radically different than when you walk in here on this first day. And we're going to do it slowly, but it's going to be supporting a better version of you Um and I have to share this morning, I was just in class, and I took a picture of what one of my students wrote in her journal. So this was her WWW. She said, yesterday, I ate a amazing taco. She said, I made it with a whole wheat tortilla with spicy hummus, rice, quinoa, beans, mushrooms, onions, salsa, lettuce, cucumber, and tomato. It was the bomb. <laughs> now, she's 18 years old. And came in eating Top Ramen. Ah. And so to have that kind of change is just, oh, my gosh. It's just amazing. Oh, Absolutely. That, that's stunning. My husband and I were, were just watching the Einstein 10-part uh, documentary that we had recorded from um, National Geographic Channel, and I said, wouldn't it have been amazing to have had Einstein for a teacher? And then as soon as I thought that, it was like, well, it would have been wasted on me because I wouldn't have understood what he was saying, but it would be amazing to have you as a teacher. So your students are very, very lucky. Very exciting stuff. So something is coming up for you in August. That's yes, going to change your is, world. What's oh that? Oh, my gosh. This is going to change everything. So we have been able to, my colleague and I are the full-time people in nutrition in our college, and we were able to write curriculum for a brand-new plant-based nutrition and sustainable agriculture certificate program. So we're going to be the ones who are going to offer this, and it's going to have three classes. So it's going to have a plant-based nutrition and a plant-based cooking class that I get to teach Mm. those. And then we're partnering with horticulture on our campus, and they're teaching a sustainable ag class in the gardens. 
So students will have the full complement and see the whole circle of this. And we're just thrilled because Sacramento is the farm to fork capital. Yes. And we have, oh my gosh, wonderful produce, wonderful restaurants that are in this area that support local farms. And there's a lack of knowledge with the plant-based. So we're really, really excited. Um, yeah, so we're just thrilled. That's starting in August. That That is really exciting. There is so much happening now that it just takes my breath away. Yesterday, I was in Philadelphia as part of um, an investment community visibility summit on healthcare. And, you know, I, I'm a girl from Kansas City, came through the 60s and, you know, hardly in that world of, you know, business and investment and, you know, the serious way of looking at some of these things. But what is happening now is is that people in, in the medical community and even in the pharmaceutical community see that there is something going on over here in plant-based nutrition that they want to know about. And it was such a positive, wonderful experience. And I, I just hear about things happening all over the country, like now you're doing this amazing thing in Sacramento. It's very, very uplifting. Now, you have a sentence that you like to finish, and you didn't tell me how you'd finish it, so I'm going to go out on a limb <laughs> and ask mm. you, never underestimate the power of a... Decision. Ooh. I have to put that out there because I was listening, and I will give credit to John Asraft. Um, he talked about growing up as a young child, his parents immigrated from Europe. I believe, I'm not exactly sure where, it could have been um, Russia or the Ukraine. But his dad, he talked about being a very hard worker. He was a taxi driver, you know, never made more than 35000 a year. You'd ask him, how, you know, how, how are you feeling today, dad? And he'd say, wonderful, I'm alive. You know, just a really hard worker. And he said he smoked, though, like a chimney. You know, he smoked a couple packs a day. And as a child, he was, I think, six or seven years old, John brought home this information about smoking to his dad. And they were, I think, in upstate New York. And he said his dad was reading it at the kitchen table smoking a cigarette. Put that cigarette out at the end of the reading and never smoked again. And the person who was interviewing him said, wait a second, what about all this, you know, addiction to, you know, tobacco and nicotine, all this stuff? And he said, you, you never underestimate the power of a decision. Whoa. And so I really think that when I talk to my students about this, you know, that the hardest thing for them, because I encourage them to go plant-based, obviously. I encourage them. I do the 21-day kickstart for extra credit. You know, I do lots of different things. But I say when you can make that decision, then you find peace mm. and freedom because you really, there's no more fight. Then mm -hmm. you're comfortable. You know, and it, it's not a, oh, my gosh, now willpower. I have to use willpower, and I want to bite, and I don't want No, you're done. And it's just that I've made a decision. I'm, you know, I'm a non-smoker or, you know, I don't eat animal products. And you don't have to worry what it smells like. You don't have to worry, you know, what it looks like. I just, I don't go there. And that decision is so powerful. That's so very that's interesting because like John Asaraf's father, my mother stopped smoking immediately. She read a Reader's Digest article while in an airplane and when she got off the plane, she threw her cigarettes away and never smoked again. And yet I wonder if that isn't something that comes from certain kinds of people with steely resolve. Do you think there's room for some people who need a little bit more wiggle room or transition time? Oh, absolutely. And who knows, you know, with him, if his dad had ever tried to stop before. And and I think the big piece, too, is thinking about, well, maybe you're just not ready to make the decision. You know, mm -hmm. if it's not, if you're not 
feeling that maybe you need more education, maybe you need to taste more things, maybe you need more support. I mean, there could be a whole variety of things that, um, you know, we have our top group I started, the Thrive on Plants Club on our campus. And so we have students, they're waiting for me right now, we're doing a top luck. We don't do potlucks, we're the top group, so we do top lucks. <laughs> So we have an Indian top luck that we're doing. And we, you know, the idea that that support in the community is important. And when you're ready, when you make that decision, then you'll find the peace. Then you'll find mm. that freedom. That That is so exciting. I know we're just about out of time, but in our very last 55 seconds, for people who want to do what you do, for people who are looking at a career or a second career would you advise people to do the long, arduous RD route so that you've got that great credential to go out in the world with? You know, it depends. It really depends on where they are in life. My students that are young, that are looking at this, you know, as going to university and they're going to do this, absolutely do it, get the credential, and then do practice the way that you feel you need to practice ethically with, you know, without question. But some of my students that are a little older that are not sure about uprooting family and trying to pursue this, I don't think you need to be doing that for everybody to be able to make a difference in the community. And I think the biggest difference that you can make for everybody is setting the example. It's the people behind you in the grocery store line who look to see what you're eating. It's the people behind you at, you know, a restaurant to see what you order. Um, But as far as career-wise, there's a lot of opportunity out there, a lot. We just have to be a little more entrepreneurial in spirit. Yeah. Oh, you just sound delightful. Now you make me want to come to Sacramento so we could meet and hang out and have a foodie bar. I would love it. uh, Thank you, Tim Marie, for sharing some of your birthday with us. Everybody, check out foodiebars.com, also thenutritionprofessor.com. We will put more of Tim Marie Hagenberger's information on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So do check that out. Thank you so much, Tim Marie. Happy, blessed, joyous birthday. And everybody else, stay with us. We are bringing on a savior of animals. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, 
and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, everybody, to the Main Street Vegan Show. We are just absolutely thrilled to pieces that you are here today. This is a special day at Main Street Vegan. It's an anniversary. Five years ago this week, the book, Main Street Vegan, was published. We had our wonderful launch at the Peter Max Gallery. It was all so grand. But we had no idea that week what was going to come after that. And that was this show that you're listening to, the Main Street Vegan Podcast. We were contacted by Unity Online Radio to do this program, which is absolutely wonderful and stunning. Main Street Vegan Academy, which has now graduated over 250 vegan lifestyle coaches and educators from 16 countries around the world. That idea just came from Main Street Vegan and just this week, J.L. Fields and I have gone into the copy editing phase for the Main Street Vegan Academy cookbook that J.L. and I have written along with uh, graduates of Main Street Vegan Academy. It's actually up on Amazon right now for pre-order, and it will actually be ready and, and shipped uh, December 19th. So if you want to get an early shot on your Christmas shopping for Everybody you know who eats, we've got the Main Street Vegan Academy cookbook coming. But just to say thank you all so very much for being part of this movement and for allowing uh, what Main Street Vegan has to offer to be part of a gentling of this this world and bringing sanity and peace and on that note, I am so honored to be welcoming my guest uh, for this part of the program. She is a Peace Abbey Foundation Award winner. And if you're not familiar with this award, let me just say that it's been given to people such as Mother Teresa and the Dalai Lama. This is, is a major recognition. We're going to be speaking with our guest about that. And about how stunning it really is at this time in history that an award like this would go to someone who is serving peace in the world through serving animals. My guest is Sherry Ezel Vandersloos. She and her husband, Jim, are former dairy goat farmers who had a profound change of heart and turned their farm into a nonprofit sanctuary for farmed animals named Maple Farm Sanctuary back in 1998. This inspirational transformation was featured in the documentary Peaceable Kingdom, The Journey Home. Today, Maple Farm Sanctuary is home to approximately 100 rescued farm animals, including cows, pigs, goats, chickens, ducks, and llamas. Welcome, Sherry Ezel. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm honored to to be on your show. Thank you so much. Well, it, it's such a pleasure, and it's always fun. You and I have never met, but since I've seen you in the film, Peaceable Kingdom, The Journey Home, I feel like I know you. So anybody listening who has not seen this beautiful, beautiful documentary about, is it three farmers, I believe, who yes. changed? Yes, Harold Brown now- and Howard Lyman and us, and actually... Um- Casey Mel and Jason Tracy, they had a farmed animal sanctuary 
in Pennsylvania. So they're on it also. Ah, well, it's a beautiful, beautiful film. So tell us a little bit of your story and what changed. Well, um, I don't want to be too redundant if people have seen the film, but um, I guess in a nutshell, we were farmers. Um, and as some farmers do say, oh, we love we love our animals so much, and we did. But part of farming, if you're going to make milk and cheese, um, which is what I was doing with the with the sweet goats, um, the byproduct is. You remove the baby goats from the moms, which is tortuous for everyone. Um, and then you take the the boy goats, and they they go for meat, and that was extremely difficult. We have uh, a few ethnic communities that their traditional Easter meal is goat, um, baby goat. That is thirty five to forty five pounds. And we began selling on the hoof to them. And we had bottle-fed those babies and held them and nurtured them up to that point. And it broke our hearts every time we did it. And one day, and there were many tears before that, but one day as we listened to some of our baby goats being driven away in the trunk of a car, crying, and we could hear them all the way down the road, fading into the distance, Jim and I looked at each other, and we both were crying, and we said, we can't, we can't do this anymore. It's horrible for the animals. It's horrible for our hearts and souls. And while I knew my husband being a third-generation dairy cow farmer, I didn't have expectations of him to transform to veganism. I was ready to, but I wasn't going to be demanding of him. But he volunteered. He just out of the blue said, I can't, if we're not going to farm them, we can't eat them. And that's where we began that journey into veganism. We stopped eating meat, cold turkey, so to speak. And um, the most difficult thing, typically, was giving up cheese, which is, I think many of us know that it's habit-forming, just like a drug. So cheese was the last to go, and now... Now we live the best vegan lifestyle that we can, and, and we founded the sanctuary. And given both of our backgrounds, we give the animals the best care that we can and we allow them to grow old. And at the moment, we have many elderly residents that have lived to the top of expected life, uh, life lengths of life, I guess is the best to say, and veterinarians mm. don't normally see them live that long. So it's an education for them also. Yes. Well, what a, a beautiful story. Yes, I did see the film, but I just feel like I just heard it for the first time. I do remember yeah. in, in the film at one point um, you had said that you thought that people would take the babies for pets, so that you know they they wouldn't have to be slaughtered, and I think so many of us who just think that animals are so great, why wouldn't everybody come running to want to be able to share their life with a few goats? But uh, it's kind of like with the dogs and cats; the number of homes are just not equal not no. to and the when need. When we farm them, I mean, typically a goat has twins, sometimes triplets, sometimes even quadru- quadruplets. So finding homes for for baby goats is even more difficult than dogs and cats because you can't just have one right. um, because they're herding animals. And not everyone's set up to both house the animals and give them a proper environment, nor do they know how to feed them properly mm-hmm. um, because they're they eat such a specialized diet compared to dogs and cats. Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't realistic for me to think that I could find homes for all these baby goats. Um, and my husband coming from the dairy dairy cow industry kept saying, well, if you want to make milk and cheese, this is a part of it. And um, we dealt with it as long as we could and decided, no, this this isn't right. It just so when, isn't right. When mm-hmm. you gave up uh, d- 
dairy goat farming and when you became vegan or started on the road to veganism, had you read any books? Had you watched any documentaries? Did you know anything or was this just a complete heart decision? Um, we knew very little. I mean, I had a few friends that we had talked to and I don't think we had read any books at the time, but we certainly knew about veganism and we we knew where our hearts and souls wanted to go. So we just kind of jumped into the abyss, so to speak, and and educated ourselves along the way. I mean, obviously we needed to know how to eat healthy um, and do our vitamin B supplementation, which we love nutritional yeast, so that's mm-hmm. a big part of our diet. But... Um, it was educational along the way, um, and like I said, the cheese was the most difficult thing, um, oddly enough. Uh, but after having spoken to people over the years, cheese seems to be the worst thing to give up, the hardest, the most difficult. Um, it's like a drug. Yes, but, yes. Um, and of course, I- we've known dairy farmers over the years, and, and suddenly we became... We became enemies of the dairy farmers that we've known over the years because of our change of diet and then becoming a sanctuary. So we lost friends. Well, they weren't friends if we lost them. So at any rate, um, well, I think it, it change, was a change of lifestyle. Hmm? Change scares people, especially when it has to do with their livelihood. And yet when when you know the truth, you you have to stand up for it. So speaking of standing up for the truth, the award that you were given from the Peace Mm -hmm. Abbey Foundation last fall was called the Courage of Conscience. So tell us about the Peace Abbey Foundation, about the award, and why you were chosen. Well, Jim and I were both humbled by being told we were going to get this award, and I actually knew nothing about it. I'm ashamed to say. I, I don't stay up on a lot of things like that. Um, so it was totally unexpected. I didn't know what it was all about until <laughs> until Lewis um, explained it to me and, and a few other people. And then when I found out what company we were a part of, I I mean, we were just deeply flattered and I hardly feel worthy of it at times, looking at the company that we're keeping in in this award. So we're very honored to have been given this award, um, and it it's in front of us every day, and we look at it and try to live up to the expectations um, and continue what we're doing to the best of our abilities, um, despite challenges along the way. And um, it's, I I guess it's a part of appreciating life and honoring life and being respectful for all mankind and all sentient beings. And that's what we try to do. And I guess that's why we get the award. (laughs) Mm. Well, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful honor. Um, The Peace Abbey Foundation, for for those of you who don't know, and I think this is of particular interest to our uh, Unity listeners who are with us today because we are on Unity Online Radio. Thanks to them for uh, allowing us this wonderful uh, forum for this program. But the Peace Abbey Foundation is an interdenominational center that celebrates all faiths and the individual's who fight with courage and compassion against violence in the world. And I love it that they gave you this award because of what you do for animals, because everything is so connected. And yesterday I mentioned in the earlier uh, segment that I was in Philadelphia for um, a healthcare summit, but they had um, people doing a panel before mine that was about the the nuclear threat, which is not something that I have spent much time thinking about in the past 30 years. I think Mm -hmm. something happened historically, politically, that just made it seem like, okay, don't have to worry about that anymore, when the reality is, as the physician who spoke said, that it is the most serious public health threat in the world today, and it really brought me up short that 
peace, even though there hasn't been something like a peace movement that's big and noteworthy and people writing songs about it in this country for a very long time, peace at every level is, is the most important thing there is. And because I can't change the mind of global political leaders, what I can do is make peace in my own life and keep tragedy from happening to a certain number of animals every year. So I love it that they chose you and I'm just oh, thank you. I I am just humbled to be talking to you. Congratulations. Oh. Well thank oh. you. And, and and the change when I think of change I think of it as it's evolutionary. We plant seeds and we're hopefully going to allow the human race to evolve into a more peaceful human race. And I think right now we're met with many challenges when it comes to peace, and and we are all a part of it. Um, but politically, we're challenged, and and uh, with the animals, we're challenged. So we all need to be a part of it, and to teach, and to plant seeds, and to move ahead gently, and not shove mm-hmm. it down people's throats. Um, yeah, lead by well, example, and teach by doing. I think there's a, a song that they sing at a lot of churches and certainly a lot of unity churches that says, let there be peace on earth and let it begin mm-hmm. with me. And yeah. I think that going vegan is the most beautiful, certainly the most efficient way to do that right now, right away, get it done. Yeah. Is actually something I'd love to share with the listeners that you guys can look up. It's called The Vegan Calculator. And it's uh, something that the Cowspiracy people have put up, www.theveganCalculator.com. And you can put in how long you've been vegan, whether it's one day or whether it's 33 years and five months, which is what I was blessed to be able to put in the other day when I did it. You can see how many animals you've saved, how many pounds of CO2 you have not put out into the atmosphere how many thousands or millions of gallons of water you've saved. So it's really, really exciting and, and powerful. And then, of course, we have some people like Sherry who go the extra mile and start a sanctuary. So tell us, Sherry, where Mitch Maple Farm Sanctuary is supported and your favorite recent rescue story. Um, oh, well, there... Uh, <laughs> we're located in um, on North Avenue in Menden, Massachusetts, and we do have a website, maplefarmsanctuary.org, um, and obviously we depend on donations to survive. And our most, well, we have two recent rescues, um, one being Gwen, Gwendolyn, the turkey. She is the breed that is used in factory farms, so she's genetically engineered to grow as big as she can, as fast as she can. So she's persistently on a diet (laughs) to keep her weight down. But she was out in the woods, um, and oddly enough, there was a hunter in the woods hunting turkeys, and he saw this white turkey wandering about um, that was obviously injured but healing and picked her up and made some phone calls. Somehow, I don't know how he found us, but made a phone call, found us, and we said, yes, we'd take her. And he drove in, and it was a very different experience to be given this young, injured turkey to be saved by a fellow who was actually out to kill a turkey. He could have very easily shot the turkey. He didn't have to save it. Um, In some people's minds, a turkey is a turkey. So... We were blessed to be able to bring Gwen into the barn, and she loves people and is always talking and wandering about, and she's just a wonderful bird. Mm-hmm. And then then the other more recent one, and we're trying to keep our rescues down a bit, just keeping that balance of money in and animals supported. But of we course. did take in a, a a goat who was going to be sent to slaughter. But the very sad thing was that she had been bred, so she has 
at least one, if not two, babies in her belly. So um, she was going to be sent to slaughter with two babies in her. So she that was a triple tragedy. Um, so we, we took her in, and she's just doing wonderfully. She's in with one of our elderly goats um, who's very mellow, and they're getting along really well, uh, and hopefully they can stay together and nurture one another when, when the day comes, which should be in June sometime when when she gives birth. And we'll mm. let everybody know. We'll keep everyone posted. Hopefully yes. everything goes well. Oh, and I, I know certainly that at sanctuaries, uh, no one wants to be breeding animals, but sometimes when uh, somebody shows up who's pregnant, just to, to be there with those babies has got to be the most amazing experience. Well, I've I, delivered an awful lot when we <laughs> the milk goats, so I've had my, I don't want to gross out the audience, but I've had my hand up the butts of many goats, so I've delivered many babies, and I don't expect any problems, but I'm prepared to to deal with them, and we have a good vet if it really gets bad. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, I, I remember I hmm? years and years ago, we were in Nepal, and it's a very poor country. The people are skinny. The animals are skinnier. Yeah. Yeah. But there was a little baby goat who was, I guess, too young to be skinny and had this zest for life that I have rarely seen in a creature. And sometimes if I'm feeling morose, I think about that little being and, and to just have some sense of that life is good, that joy, that pure, unadulterated joy. They are very animated and they are so full of joy. And like you say, that zest for life, and it lasts for about a year, that jumping around and bounding off of things. They're just wonderful little creatures. Um, I can't imagine anyone consuming them. So yeah. it, it's, it, it will be nice to see two little babies again um, on sanctuary grounds that will be able to live out their lives yes. here in peace. But, oh, but you're bless right, you. they're now, wonderful. It, is yours mm-hmm. a sanctuary that people can visit? Yes, we're just we're going to be starting up tours um hopefully in May. You can go okay. to our website and check out the tours at maplefarmsanctuary.org. Okay. And, and, and Mendon, are you close to Boston? Where is Mendon, Massachusetts? We're about 15 miles south of Worcester and about 45 minutes plus depending on traffic from Boston, west of Boston. Oh. Well, I wish I had known that two years ago when I spoke at the Worcester Veg Fest. Now I have to get them oh. to invite me back so I could do a side trip. It's oh. like I was so close to I all those I know you were so close. Visited. Please come by when you oh. are out this way again. That, would, that would be grand. Now, something else is happening in May in Boston, and that is a screening of the Peaceable Kingdom documentary. Can you tell us about that? Um, I haven't been filled in too much on that, but, um, I'm not sure if I will be attending or not. Um, but if I do, we'll, I've attended others and I will introduce myself and we'll discuss the origins of Maple Farm Sanctuary and even the others. I don't know if Harold Brown will be coming. He's attended many screenings. He's a great guy. Oh, yeah. he's wonderful. Love him to pieces. Howard Lyman, I don't think he'll be coming, but again, wonderful, wonderful soul. Yeah, um, we've never had um, Harold Howard. on the show. We need to, but Howard has been on, and so people can go on the archives and, and look up Howard Lyman, the mad yes. cowboy. If anybody remembers yes. when Oprah was sued by the cattlemen, <laughs> it was as a result of having Howard Lyman on her show, and actually they, they were both sued. So that's Boy, talk a, about power. A little piece of veg history in there. Yes. So um, you you are vegan, and you yes. are one strong, healthy woman. You and your husband oh. are out there doing serious farm work. So what are some of your kind of hearty dishes that you depend on for your lifestyle? 
what was that again? What are some so of what, our what? what kind of really hardy? You know, you always think of, of farmers as, as the the traditional uh, kind of American bacon and eggs and biscuits and butter and no. milk with the cream on top. What do <laughs> vegan farmers, farm sanctuarians eat? Uh, well. Um, when the garden gets going, there's lots of kale and chard and root veggies, um, but we also belong to a co-op, so I get a lot of kale and chard and root veggies from them. Uh, vegan mac and, in quotes, cheese of various recipes that I love experimenting with. That's one of our favorites. Um, various vegan stews in the winter um, using some garden um, meat substitutes if we have to, and if not, it's lots of veggies, and so it's mainly the stews, soups, and mac and cheese for everyday staples, and then for treats, the garden items sometimes, um, and that's, I guess that's about it. I mean, I do experiment when I have time, but time is a precious commodity when you when you're working on the sanctuary taking care of the critters. I'm sure but those are our favorites. Well, I know a lot of people fantasize about having a sanctuary, maybe oh, even yes. just a small one. But what's it really like? Give us the blow by blow. What time do you get up? What do you do? What does a day look like? Well, I guess more appropriately is when do we sleep, <laughs> not when do we get up, because it it depends on. Feeding schedules, it depends on some of our elderly animals if they need a little extra care. And at night I do these supplement dishes and medication dishes. So um, it is a lot of hard work. You need to have a working knowledge of either, I'll say, a vet tech background to some degree, large animal background to some degree, or at least help with it because it's a lot of work and it's a lot of care. It's it's not just a matter of keeping a few animals and cleaning them out once in a while and providing them with food and water. It's much more than that. You you do need a lot of knowledge unless you've got somebody that can do it for you. So we do have a very good volunteer base that we cherish that helps us with the cleaning and some water. We do most of the feeding, but try to um, teach some volunteers what we feed, when we feed, what not to feed, what to feed. And because different animals have different criteria, feeding criteria, you just can't blanket feed everyone the same thing. So knowledge, education, and a really, really good, strong work ethic. Mm. And either a caffeine source or <laughs> something to keep you going during those times when a new animal comes in and it needs that extra care to to get adjusted or get it mended or whatever the issue is. So um, it, I'm willing sounding, to teach. Hmm? It's sounding, Sherry, like it's harder to have an animal sanctuary than to have an animal farm. It is. It is. It's very easy to, I mean, the usual thing, and we've still got one dairy farm in Menden. And if an animal gets sick, and most often it's the young ones, you don't, you don't bother treating them unless it's something you really, really, really want to keep because animals get shipped to slaughter. It either goes for dog food, cat food, or human food. And, and if you get sick in the farm world, you don't, you don't get cared for. You just get shipped. Yes. Um, I, I want to just clarify something because I, I know people are going to be writing to me. You just uh-oh. said, we've got one dairy farm still in Menden. Mm. And I, so you don't mean you and your husband. You mean the town. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's be, let's be clear. Sherry and Jim have an animal sanctuary. <laughs> No yes. dairy farming anymore. No. I, I find so, clarity is very... <laughs> well, historically, the road we live on was all dairy farms years and years ago. Ah. So, so we there's been a big evolution. I mean, now it's 
great big, mostly big houses and some smaller historical houses. But um, mm-hmm. but we're the only farm, working farm, if you want to call it that, on North Avenue in Menden. Um, well, so the evolution is is complete on our end. <laughs> it's well, come from. Hmm? We could call it a farm. Yes. Or obviously what it is, a farm sanctuary. I like to think of it as farm sanctuary and retirement home for animals <laughs> who would not get to live into those golden years or, you know, even in into uh, young adulthood and, and middle age because we, yes. we tend to eat babies. Someday, I hope that none of them need to retire from anything that will stop breeding them. And it won't be in my lifetime, I don't think. It would be nice to dream about it, but someday, none of them will have to retire. Those that are around can live out a life, and we will no longer breed them for the purposes that they are bred for now. And you are so much part of it. If it doesn't happen in your lifetime, the way I think of it is that we're like those people in medieval Europe who were building the cathedrals. And they knew they wouldn't see it and their children wouldn't see it, but maybe their grandparents would, their grandchildren would. And I just so know that we are on the road to this. If we can just keep sane and safe long enough there is is going to be a turnaround because of people like Sherry Evel, uh, Ezel Vandersloos, winner of the Peace Abbey Foundation Courage of Conscience Award, one of the stars of Peaceable Kingdom, The Journey Home, which you really need to see if you haven't already. And check out maplefarmsanctuary.org if you're in New England, maybe uh, pay them a visit this spring. Thanks so much, Sherry, for being on the program. Thanks also Thank to you. Tim Marie Hagenberger. Check out that book, The Foodie Bar Way. And everybody, God bless you. Eat your veggies. And God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. said to yourself, I'm living a life I never intended to create. What life did you intend to create? Did you set goals? Did you work toward reaching those goals? If we don't have a specific goal in mind or we don't know where we want to go, we may be likely to end up in places not of our choosing. Establishing goals along with guidelines on how to achieve them helps to keep us focused and energized and often makes our lives more interesting, useful, and successful. It's never too late to take control of your life. Once you have your purpose clearly in mind, explore the various ways you can make it happen and visualize the process you believe can work best. Set goals, do what it takes to accomplish them, and enjoy your process.
This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. Ever notice how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly? Listen to Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things. Join the discussion with Daryl and Ed live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Funniest Thing, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life. 